As we're looking at God's Word this morning, though, we have been looking through the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been going through, let me kind of recap again for you, because it's been a little bit since we've recapped kind of the whole Sermon on the Mount to give you some of the high points. It started off with Jesus listing out for us what are called the Beatitudes. These are a series of attitudes and actions that lead to a blessed life. They're the ones that should exemplify those of us who have made Jesus our Savior and our Lord, those of us who live in His kingdom, those who are part of what God's done. We've been saying that this is kind of Jesus outlining for us His expectations for the citizens of His kingdom, how we're supposed to act and who we're supposed to be in the very core of who we are. As we went from the Beatitudes, we saw that as we live out those attitudes, not only are we blessed, but we're able to impact the world around us as salt and light. The blessings that we enjoy also challenge us to live lives where we obey God's commandments from our hearts that have been transformed by what Jesus has done for us. We saw there in chapter 5 that that calls us then to go above and beyond what the Old Testament law prescribed as far as the exteriors of obedience and make sure that the obedience that we offer to God, the way that we live, the things that we do, come from a heart that has been transformed and not just an outward show of actions. So Jesus has been raising the bar for us and setting the standards of of what we're to do and and how we're to act as kingdom citizens. And and then we got into chapter 6 where Jesus said that that hard attitude means that we obey and do the right thing by focusing on the fact that our goal is not to do what we do just so that others will see, but instead our goal is to honor God as as our Father, our King, and all those things, knowing that He sees and He rewards what's done in secret. Jesus started by reminding us that that that's to be true of our giving, that we're not supposed to make a big deal about our giving. We're supposed to do that in secret, in private, as much as possible, so that we're giving just so that God would be honored and glorified and not so that we get any kind of credit or anything like that. We also saw then that, that he applied that to this issue of prayer. Prayer is where we've been for the last several weeks because Jesus talked about that idea of praying in secret, and it's not about a show and a whole lot of words, but instead it's about us recognizing and acknowledging our need and the needs around us and our communication with God. So after kind of establishing that, then Jesus has been going through and giving us a model for us to pray. Now, as we talked about, this is not something that Jesus was praying because like we said last week, Jesus didn't have to ask for forgiveness. He's never sinned. He's never fallen short. We'll talk about that more today. And so he's, this is a model that he's giving us to teach us to pray. We're going to finish up our look this morning at that model prayer. But I want to go back again and, and start from verse 9 here, and we're going to read through the, the model prayer that Jesus gave for us. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then last week we looked at the idea of forgiveness and saw that Jesus went on to go to remind us that that if we're going to expect God to give, give us that fatherly forgiveness that we need on an ongoing basis, but that only can happen as we're willing to extend forgiveness to others just like he has to us, okay? So that's what we've seen so far. First off, let me just go ahead and say, are y'all okay today? Everybody seems a little tired, and that's all right. Just, we're going to acknowledge that. We're going to go from here, all right? 
So this morning what we're doing is we're going to back up. We've covered all of the other verses in this prayer, and now we're going to go back up to the top and catch here verse 13. This is the last verse in it, and what we're going to see here is Jesus giving us two different requests that we're to pray in regards of temptation. It's kind of two sides of the same coin, but we're going to break them out into these two different phrases where he says there in verse 13, don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so let's go ahead and just dive right into it. The first request that Jesus is teaching us to make as we're rounding out this model prayer is that he would help us avoid giving in to temptation, okay? So Jesus teaches us to ask God not to lead us to temptation. Now, this is kind of a logical request, right? I mean, the the last thing that Jesus taught us was that we were to ask God to forgive us for the sins we've committed. So if we just asked God to forgive us for the sins we've committed, then it would also make sense that we'd ask God to help us not commit any more, right? That kind of is a logical step that we should be asking for God to help us to avoid falling into temptation. Now, remember that, by the way, as we're talking about this, if you're not really familiar with Christianity or if you kind of have lost a little bit of sight of it, usually when we talk about temptation and sin, we think about the big things like stealing or murder or rape or you know some kind of massive, big, visible sin. But the Bible says that that sin is actually much broader than that. Sin is not just the big bad things we do. It's any time we go against God's law or we displease him. So any time we do something that doesn't reflect that that Jesus is our king, that he's in charge, any time we do anything like that, that's sin. That means it's the bad things we do. It's the good things that we should do that we don't do. And as we've seen already in the Sermon on the Mount, where he took it from our actions back to the heart, he said, you know, like, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart for her, that that's the same as adultery. So we've seen that then this goes beyond just the outside, but even down to the very thoughts and desires of our heart. So if you're sitting here saying, well, you know, Sean, I'm I'm good. I don't really ever sin, really. Well, you need to take a look at that definition of sin again and remember that sin is anything that displeases God or goes against his law or his desire. That's a big deal. When we look at that, then we all are tempted to sin in all kinds of different ways. So as we're looking at this, as we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us to pray that God would not lead us into temptation that would cause us to sin. Now, just like a lot of other things in Scripture, there are all kinds of opinions about exactly what Jesus is getting at here. So let's kind of talk through what we know he's not saying. The thing that Jesus is not teaching us to pray is we're not praying, God, don't tempt us. Because the Bible says God does not tempt us. Okay? Here's where we find that. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it starts and says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. Hold on for just a second on that one. When you see those words trial and tempt, they're very similar concepts. So sometimes the, the, the idea of trying, tempting, going through a trial, they're very similar. Trials are not necessarily sinful. Temptations are leading you to sin. But sometimes there's a little bit of play back and forth between whether it's a trial or whether it's a temptation. Think about like Abraham. If you remember when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, he was putting him to the test. He was trying him. He wasn't tempting him to sin. Okay, but it's a similar idea. All right. Each person, it says, is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. That's not a very pretty picture, is it? 
And the, the idea here is that, that temptation is not coming from God himself. Okay? God does not tempt you to sin. Now, as we've said, there are times when God brings us into situations that will test and try us, but God himself is never the one to tempt us to sin. In fact, we saw that with Abraham, like I said, where he, he tried Abraham's faith by taking him up Mount Moriah for him to sacrifice Isaac. We've also seen him do it to Jesus, right? If you remember, after Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit sent him in the wilderness to be tested and tried before he began his per- public ministry. Okay, so when we look at this, it's not saying God don't tempt us because God doesn't tempt us. Okay, as an aside, by the way, remember that being tempted is not the same thing as committing sin. Some folks have a really sensitive conscience. And so if you even feel tempted to do something wrong, if you kind of feel that draw towards something, you immediately start bearing this guilt and this weight and say, oh, I shouldn't have even thought like that. I shouldn't have even been tempted by that. Well, it's true that you and I need to be fighting back against temptation, but remember that temptation is not sin, okay? And I'm not giving you an excuse to flirt with temptation. I'm not telling you you should be you know, kind of seeing how close to the line you can get or whatever it is or how long you can hold out. We'll talk more about that. But remember that temptation is something that's common to everybody and not always and the temptation itself is not sin how do i know this well because we just said jesus was tempted right he went out into the wilderness satan came to him and said if you do this i'll give you this you should do this to fill this need he tempted him at least three different times and jesus never sinned so in that jesus never using what james said jesus never allowed that to generate in him an evil desire that would then manifest itself through a sinful action, okay? So we're all tempted in a whole lot of different ways. So the prayer then that Jesus is teaching us to pray then is that God would help us avoid giving in to the temptations that we all face all the time, okay? We're all facing all kinds of temptations all the time. So what Jesus is teaching us to pray is that God would help us to avoid giving in to the temptations that are all around us. Okay? You with me so far? He's not necessarily teaching us to pray for God to keep us out of tempting situations, although we can pray for God to work that way. He's teaching us to pray for God to give us the strength to avoid failing and falling in light of the temptations, embracing those evil desires that work out in sinful actions. Well, Here's an interesting thought experiment that some people said. Well, why should I avoid sin? I mean, let's think about it for a second, right? If you said last week that all I have to do is confess my sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness like we looked at last week, then, then why can't I just ask God to forgive me and he'll make it right? And why do I need to even worry about avoiding temptation? Well, remember what James said about the outcome of our sin. What did he say? He said that it starts as an evil desire. It gives birth to sin, and when sin's fully grown, what does it bring forth? Death. Death. You see, what it says in Romans is that the wages of sin is death. How many of you guys get a paycheck for something? All right? If you've worked hard, you get a paycheck at the end of the week based off of, or whenever it is you get paid, off of the work that you have put in. You get paid for what you do. So what Paul's telling us here is that the wages of sin is death. So here I am, and I claim to be a follower of Jesus, and and I 
I, I'm sitting here saying, you know what? Then I'm just going to keep sinning because it's going to keep giving God an opportunity to forgive me. No, sin brings about death. See, sin is why death is even in the world. The reason that things physically die is because all of creation has been cursed. But beyond that, you and I are spiritually dead because of our sin. We are separated from God and and unresponsive and, and can't get right on our own. Because we've sinned and that's brought death in us. But this is where the message of the gospel comes in. I was talking to a friend of mine who, who doesn't follow Jesus this week. And, and it, it drove me crazy because I had a hard time getting this across to him. But, but the Bible talks about the way that we're saved completely different than any other religion. See, in every religion, you're trying to work your way to God. You're trying to do enough good things to appease the God that you serve, whether that's to, you know, uh, like following the five pillars of Islam or whether that is uh, trying to achieve enlightenment or escape from the wheel of samsara in an Eastern kind of meditation or Eastern mysticism or whatever. In those, in every other world religion, you're trying hard to do enough good things to appease God. But the Bible teaches that you can't. There is no way for you to do enough good things because you're dead. You're dead. You have no life in you. Spiritually, you have no hope. You have no ability to save yourself. And this is what makes the gospel so amazing, guys. Go back and recapture this if it's become familiar. The message of the cross is that God loved you so much that Jesus, who we said was tempted and never sinned, Jesus came and walked among us and then died my death. The wages of my sin, my death, he took on the cross. And now he offers me his life instead. So so when I look at temptation and, and when I'm tempted to sin, why on earth would I want to continue in sin if Jesus died for that? How how rude can i be i I use this example with somebody um imagine we were walking down roanoke street right here and as you and i were walking down roanoke street there was a car that started swerving out of control you saw it i didn't because i was looking at my phone they were probably looking at their phone too that's why they swerved but they start swerving right at me So you, in an act of heroism and selflessness, shove me out of the way of the car, and you take the full brunt of the impact. You're paralyzed from the neck down. Now, let's say that I come to visit you in the hospital. And as I walk into the hospital room, you're hooked up to all these machines. You don't have any sensation from the neck down. You have sacrificed so much to save my life. And I walk up to you, and I slap you in the face. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? You you just sacrificed so much for me. Why on earth would I want to put you through any more pain than what you already experienced? And yet, this is what we do as we sin. Now, we don't put Jesus back on the cross. But at the same time, we grieve the Spirit of God in us. Those sins that commit jesus died to take away why would we want to keep giving into temptation so our prayer then our, our request our desire is that god would move in such a way that he would work in our hearts so that we would never give back into temptation 
So he's teaching us to pray that God would help us to avoid it. Everybody has sinned, though. Everyone continues to face temptation then. So pray that God would help us to see the temptations we face. And then when we do, that he would help us to have the strength to be able to stand up to the temptation and not to allow it to become sin. Now, with that in mind, though, since we are going to face temptation, we are going to be tempted to sin, there's another part to the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Number two, he says, not only are we to pray that God would help us to avoid giving in to temptation, but also, number two, that we would avoid the tempter, that we would help escape the tempter. See, that's what he says as he goes through and says, bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If we're going to avoid giving into temptation, we need to get out of it as quickly as we can. Okay? This is not a time for you to, in, to test your endurance. How many of you guys have been familiar with what's called the marshmallow test? It was a, a, an experiment a psychologist did years ago. The idea was they took little kids and they put them in a room with a marshmallow in front of them. And I can't remember how long they were supposed to wait. And I can't remember what the incentive was. But I think it was if they put one marshmallow in front of them. And if when the, the, the uh, researchers came back, if they hadn't eaten the marshmallow yet, they'd get like five marshmallows or something like that. Right? So it's delayed gratification. And so what they would do is they would sit down and they would leave the kid alone in the room with a video camera on the kid. And you'd, it was, you know, they said it was hilarious to watch because you see the kids squirming and they kind of poke at it, you know, and they, they look at it, you know, and they, they're smelling the marshmallow, you know. And eventually kids would, some kids would eat it. There were a few kids who held out. They, they followed the study for years and figured out that the kids who held out actually did better in, in life in general and showed that they had, you know, the ability to delay gratification and became CEOs and all whatever. But that's what we try to do with sin sometimes, isn't it? We know that this is wrong. We feel the temptation come, and we're not going to give in. We're going to look at it, might might poke it, but we're not going to give in to it, right? The longer you entertain the possibility of sin, the longer you expose yourself to that, the more likely you are to fall. Our reaction should not be just to sit around and hang out. Our reaction should be to run away as quickly as possible. We all get tired of saying no, especially when it's something that our heart really wants. If you don't believe that, try to lose weight. Try to change your eating habits, right? It becomes so hard to keep saying no to the food that you love. Like, I am addicted to sweets I came home the other day, and Samantha had made some of the best cookies in the world. And they were so good. And I wanted to eat all of them. And for a little bit, you can sit there and say, you know what? I'm not going to eat that. I'm good. I'm going to eat this, this carrot because it's going to be crunchy, and it's got good vitamins and things that I need, and it's going to be lovely. But the longer you say no, that willpower wears down, and often we give in. It may not be a big deal when it's a cookie, but it is a big deal when it's sin. Here's something very critical for you and I to realize. As a Christian, now follow, don't, don't just pull this bite out and tweet it and say Sean teaches something that he doesn't, okay? As a Christian, you never have to sin again. You never have to sin again. There is never a situation that God will put you in where you have no choice but to sin. How do I know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. By the way, isn't there some comfort in that? Like, that, that, should, that should comfort you. That's one of the reasons why we love to gather together, because I'm struggling with things. And, and I know that because I, I'm not special, I'm not unique, there's no temptation that I'm facing that somebody else in the room hasn't faced. All of the temptations we face, they may differ in their specifics, but they're common to humanity. But God's faithful, and he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. There is always a way out of sin. Now, notice he doesn't say that he's going to provide you an easy way out of temptation. It may be hard, it may be embarrassing, it may be costly, it may be frustrating, it may be really, really, really ugly. But there is always a way out of temptation. Now, here's the thing. You and I will still continue to sin. Don't, I don't believe and I don't teach and I don't think the Bible says that you and I will ever be perfect in this life. We will still continue to sin. We will still continue to fight it. Not because we have no choice but to sin, but because, like James said, we still have these own evil desires that are in our hearts. Let's dig into that for just a second. James said that we're all enticed to sin by our own evil desires, right? Here's one of the things that I think that that means. That means that there may be temptations that I face that that don't tempt you. There may be things that tempt you that, that don't tempt me. For example, I, I've never really been tempted to drink alcohol, and especially not to excess. I, I've never actually had an alcoholic beverage. I think the only time I may have had any alcohol besides NyQuil was I had a friend who gave me some Russian chocolate that had cognac in it. I did not realize that. <laughs> it was gross, too. That's not a temptation to me. If you set a, a six-pack of beer in front of me, I, it's not hard for me to walk away from that at all. For some of you, though, that's been a struggle for you in the past. That's a temptation. For me, I have other areas I'm tempted with, like monster cookies, right? I, I have other temptations that I face that you may be able to walk away from without batting an eye. However, we all have unique ways in which we are tempted. Now, although these temptations, like I said, on a broad level are common to everybody and somebody's been tempted the same way that you have, there are unique areas where you're more likely to fall than I am. So here's what I I would challenge you to do when you're in a season where you're not feeling super tempted in a lot of ways. Why not allow God to help you to see those areas where you're particularly prone to temptation and decide now how you're going to avoid it? Okay, using the alcoholic example. If, you're, if you've you know, struggled with using alcohol, especially to excess, then for you, Applebee's is not a place you need to eat because the, the bar takes up the majority of the room. I know it's the one in Christiansburg's closed now. You, you don't need to go to PK's for wing night. Yes, I know the wings are good and they're cheap, but if alcohol has been an issue for you, you need to avoid that. God's providing a way out of that temptation. I'm just using alcohol because it's, it's an easy one for us to identify. It could be greed. It could be laziness. It could be pride. It could be, you know, whatever you watch, your speech. I, I don't know what it is that's your sinful area. 
But would you take time, maybe this afternoon, to sit down and say, God, where are the areas where I'm most tempted? And decide beforehand that you're not going to do it. Great example of this biblically, by the way. It's not going to be on the screen, but it comes from, from the life of Daniel. You know, there's a book by a guy named Daniel. He was a prophet, and he was a young man who'd gotten carried out of Jerusalem, and he'd been taken to the king's court in Babylon. And he had the opportunity to be an up-and-coming guy in the Babylonian government and to have a, a high-level position. Here was the problem. Having that high-level position meant you ate off the king's food. Well, that doesn't sound like a problem, right? That's the best stuff in the empire that he's getting to eat. Here's the problem, though. It had been offered to idols. And for Daniel, that would impugn his conscience. So he knew that to eat that would be sinful for him because it was him taking place and taking part in idolatry. So the Bible tells us that Daniel set in his heart beforehand that he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food. Not when he sat down at the table and had it all sitting down in front of him. He made that decision before he ever got there. So if you and I are going to escape the tempter, we got to recognize God always provides a way out of the temptation. It's really hard to see that in the moment, though. So for those areas where you know you're going to be tempted, take some time and say, God, I know that there's a way out. What do I need to do to be ready to take that escape hatch when it gets there? It may be drastic. It may be expensive. It may be difficult. I don't know what it's going to be. But get in the habit of asking God to give you a clear heart so that you can find the way out without giving in. Now, we've talked a lot about the fact that evil desires in our heart are what lead us to sin. That's what makes temptation attractive to us. But it's interesting, although there's a little bit of discussion as to how this is translated, most translations take this, deliver us from the evil one. See, we have to understand that although you can never, as um, some of you guys are old enough to remember Flip Wilson. You remember Flip Wilson and how the devil made me do it, right? I'm not going to try to do a Geraldine impression. Is it Geraldine? Is that it? Regardless, I'm not going to try to do a Flip Wilson impression. The idea is they blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do it. However, you would also be wise to acknowledge that there is a devil who wants you to do it. See, there is an enemy. Now, it's possible that the evil one here is referring to someone who's enticing you to sin, somebody who's trying to get you to do the wrong thing. But most likely, this is referring to the fact that there is an evil one out there who wants to destroy the kingdom of God. There is an actual being, an entity who we call Satan, who is trying to do whatever he can to destroy what God's doing. So he's going to work in such a way to try to get you to give in to temptation. He's going to try to disrupt what God's doing. Now, Peter talks about how we respond to that. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. I had a rare privilege on one of our trips to Zimbabwe to go to a game park and watch lions eat. I was about six feet on the other side of a chain-link fence from a big old pile of dead horse and watched about five or six adult male lions come charging at that piece of meat grab it and take off. 
It's a sound that you will never forget if you ever get to hear it. Forever, I I wish that you could go experience that one because it's kind of cool. Two, because it forever changed this verse for me. Because I've seen prowling lions and heard them. You You know a lion's growl and roar can actually be heard for kilometers because it carries that that well it's unnerving to hear it at night and yet that's how peter describes our enemy what does he say to do be sober-minded be alert because there's an adversary who's out there prowling around there was one night we were down at dinner at this game park, we, we had the privilege of staying in, in this game park in the part of the park where, like, actually the animals were. And, and our lodge was out there. Well, one of the things that they would do is they would actually take some of the young lions out to hunt at night. And we were at dinner one night, and they called our guide and said, by the way, you guys need to get back to the, the cabin because when you get back there, they're going to do a lion walk. Now, if I know that there's a lion outside of our, our cabin we're staying in, I'm not going outside, right? As we're driving, we could see the searchlights from the vehicles that were getting ready to go out and take him out. I'm watching what's going on over there. I'm not just kicking back, you know, I'm going to go set up my hammock under a tree and hope everything goes okay. So here's the problem, guys. We have a roaring lion who's out there trying to destroy us, and most of us are asleep. We're going through life thinking everything's fine, thinking life is just normal, we live in a great place, we've got everything we need, and so we're okay. There is an enemy out there who's prowling around like a roaring lion. And although your sin is always your choice, he and his demons will do whatever they can to disrupt your ability to honor God as your king. So Peter calls us to be sober-minded, to be clear-headed, looking and watching for forces that would try to stop us from obeying God. Now it's interesting because Paul pulls these two requests together in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He says in Ephesus chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. You are fighting a battle. Well, Sean, that seems so antiquated and old-fashioned and superstitious. You really believe that there is a devil out there with a red pitchfork and pointy horns? And I don't think he's got a pitchfork. I think he's a lot smoother than that. I believe wholeheartedly that there is a devil out there. There are demons out there. They are at work. Gary Larson did a tremendous injustice to the church through the Far Side cartoon. Because if you ever remember the Far Side cartoons, they were hilarious. But they always depicted Satan like he was in charge of hell. And that he was, wasn't too bad of a guy. I think, unfortunately, that has shaped us as a culture in thinking that he's just kind of this goofy-looking dude with a red pitchfork who loves to have fun where God doesn't. 
That's not who he is. He masquerades as an angel of light. He makes his temptations sound so good to try to trick you, to try to deceive you. And so what Jesus is teaching us to pray, what Paul's teaching us to pray is, God, help me to stand against that. My own heart desires to follow these temptations. So God, keep me strong and keep me from falling. And at the same time, when I'm faced with temptation, deliver me from the evil one who would take me off the path. By the way, after describing what the armor of God kind of entails and and going through this beautiful description of it, you know what he says is one of the key aspects for us to fight against our enemy? Right after that description, he says in verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. How do you and I escape the tempter's snare? Praying at all times with every prayer and request. Staying alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. It's come full circle, hasn't it? As we're praying that God would not lead us into temptation, that He would deliver us from evil, the way God accomplishes that deliverance is through prayer. That's why I want us to kind of conclude a little bit differently this morning. We, how do we pray? Well, we don't pray with a big show, with a lot of words. However, we pray with a prayer that's something like this. I want to show it up on screen and have you pray with me through the model prayer that Jesus has given us. Therefore, go ahead and read it with me. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. Now, depending on your translation, you may have what most scholars believe was probably added in a little bit later by a scribe because the church used to pray this out loud together. So verse 13 finishes off with this phrase. As it says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I can think of no greater way for us to end that, although that may not have been in the original text. The scribes who wrote that down recorded what was based off of a passage in 1 Chronicles and likely reflected the way that the early church prayed as they prayed together. That God's kingdom would come, His will be done, that His kingdom would be the power, the glory, and the honor forever. So what do we do as kingdom citizens? We pray. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision to enter into God's kingdom, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then that's where you start with prayer by saying, God, I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. And if you've got questions about that, I'd love to talk with you more. But for today, I'd encourage you to pray. God, help us to escape the tempter's snare. Let me pray for us. 
Father, you are in heaven. And we're here on earth. We don't understand everything. But we know you are great. You are majestic. So we ask that your name would be revered and honored as holy. We pray that your kingdom would come in our hearts in greater ways. That we would live more accurately as kingdom citizens. And that you would expand your kingdom so that more people would come to know Jesus. And we look forward to the day when you bring your kingdom in all of its fullness to bear. We pray that today your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that in every area of need that you would give us what we need for today. You'd provide us with the food that we need, with the strength that we need, with the wisdom that we need, with the discipline that we need, with the love we need, with the joy we need for whatever you're going to allow us to face today. We pray you'd give us grace and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And God, we pray that you would give us the strength, lead us through temptation so that we don't give in and deliver us from the evil one so that your name would continue to be lifted up and exalted and yours would be the power and the glory forever. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.